0: Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann, and welcome to another episode of the Band with a Plan podcast. So, I've been doing this every time we bring on a guest for the last couple of weeks, but I promised, I think back in the middle of January, that we had just this string of guests I was so excited about. And the big reason why is the man you're seeing on your screen here today is Shea Hammond. He's a USCP men's national team striker, he's a two time bronze medalist, he's the inaugural recipient. Of the Hope and Service Award. We'll get into all of this, and also the founder of CP Soccer. This story, guys. So just a little backstory for me. I so I've known Shay from communications classes at Clemson, and someone and a lot of people reached out saying, if you need a guest, you need to bring on Shay Hammond just because he's had such an impact not only in this community, but just nationally overall. And we're going to talk about all this today. Shay, welcome to the show, man. It's really an honor to have you on. It's good to be here, Grayson. I mean, I've always, I know we've always had
1: a bunch of classes together, and uh, thanks for hyping me up a little too much. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Very, it's very nice to hear nice things, but it's always so awkward. I'm just sitting here, just, oh, man. But yeah, no, we've always sat on different sides of the classroom, so it's nice to be face-to-face, sort of.
0: Absolutely. I think we're in a group project together, so I don't think you're going to be able to get rid of me after this episode that we film. No, no, no.
1: We got we got plenty of work to do when I will uh, be traveling, so got to
0: do that too. But let's, as I like to do with all of our guests, especially with our athletes, we like to start from the beginning. And I think your journey it's unique in the way of the initial diagnosis, Shay. And based on my understanding, it it wasn't initially discovered right at birth. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was suffered. You suffered a stroke at utero in the right side of your brain, and I think it was until you were six years old that they eventually diagnosed you with cerebral palsy. But what was that process, like from what you can recount and what your parents have told you, what was that initial diagnosis like in that start of your journey?
1: Yeah, so great question. And it's it is funny when you say, Oh, we take it all the way back to the start. But my start was quite literally when I was born. So um, I had a stroke when I was in utero. For those who don't know, that's when I was still in my mom, in my mom's uterus. And uh, it was on the right side of my brain, which the right side of your brain controls the left side of your body. So for me, my entire left side of my body was partially paralyzed and they didn't know that when I was born, I was born because I was the fourth of five. I was the fourth of five kids. I have a lot of siblings. So my parents didn't really pay any mind to me developing just a little differently. As I grew up, I was a little bit slow to walk. I was a little bit slow to crawl. I didn't really move too much growing up. And when I did start to walk and move, I had really poor balance and things like that. But my parents just passed it off as, oh, He's just grown up a little weird, and um, when I was about six years old, that's when the differences were really starting to show. So my mom, my mom, she's the one who she's the one who um, uh, really noticed it because she was with me all the time. She said we got to go see an orthopedist. So we went to the orthopedist because I could not pull my left foot up to ninety degrees. Imagine my hands and my feet. I could pull my right foot up to ninety degrees, but my left foot would just stay pointed toe pointed I would toe walk and all that so my mom noticed this every single day and eventually went to the orthopedist and the orthopedist passed it off as if I just had tight calves and tight muscles so i just stretch him out a little more maybe do some yoga he'll be fine and but as soon as my mom mentioned that also my hand goes against my body when I run and I don't run with my left arm that's when the orthopedist said, oh, you need to see a neurologist. And obviously that struck a lot of fear in my parents' hearts as it would anyone to find out that, oh, wait, there's something neurologically that might be wrong. So anyway, we go to the neurologist, same thing, same symptoms, all that. And uh, he says, we need to get an MRI. So we get the MRI in my brain. Mind you, I'm six years old, so I really have no idea what's going on. The only doctor's offices that I knew was that I would get flu shots and things like that and when I had a sore throat. So I'm in all these offices, doing all these tests, walking up and down these hallways, not really knowing what was going on. Didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but eventually I'm in the MRI scanner and terrified because it's a really loud, massive machine. I, I remember I had to get an IV drip in my hand and it was knocked out. They'd put me to sleep for it. And uh, so I get the MRI on my brain, results come back. There was a dead spot on the right side of my brain, cerebral palsy. And that was the that was the moment up until the diagnosis.
0: Wow. And so I'd love to ask you quickly, how does that process, so you go from the the diagnosis there, what was the the next steps? for you? I know we, we were talking about your physical therapy journey, but was there a, that initial solution of we need to get some PT started, or was it kind of, what, what was that initial conversation like? Great question.
1: So the initial conversation typically, and this was the same for me, is when you're diagnosed with cerebral palsy, all the options are outlined for you, and the doctor will recommend... XYZ. So for me, it was said uh, all the thing, all the traditional things were told. He won't be active beyond the age of twelve. He will not be able to play competitive sports past this age. He will struggle to run and walk past this age, and just really outlining this is what my life will look like. And there's no cure for cerebral palsy. So the only things that you can do to better your situation uh, for and they outline all the different treatments. So there's surgeries. There's five, six, seven, eight different surgeries that you can get. There's Botox that you can get, uh, physical therapy. They encourage you to stay as active as you can, but unfortunately, there's only so many options available for staying active outside of PT for kids with cerebral palsy. So my parents took all the options that were presented, and they said, well, surgery, no, no. We're not going to cut open our six-year-old and (laughs) have them manually extend the calves and tendons, because that's what they do. For the surgeries, they... Cut your calf open. They manually extend Ooh. the muscle, or same thing with your Achilles. So if your Achilles tendon is too tight, they'll cut your Achilles. They'll manually extend it, or they'll take another tendon from another part of the body and they'll extend it, and then they'll stitch you back up and say, "All right, there you go. You have a longer calf now, so you don't, so you actually have some more range of motion." Uh, they do the same thing with hamstrings. They do it all with the legs. Um, same thing for people that are affected in the arms. They do surgeries to help with the wrists and all that. So my parents said, "Absolutely not." We are not doing surgery, but physical therapy that we can do because my dad has had numerous ankle breaks, numerous foot breaks. My mom has been through physical therapy for a number of things. So we knew some good physical therapists where I grew up in New Jersey. And so that was the plan. Just throw me into physical therapy at six years old, where I was the youngest at the office by, I don't know, 30 years, aside from the uh, assistant assistant PTs. And maybe a couple high school athletes every once in a while. It was always me, the six-year-old kid getting there and running around for a little bit, getting hopping on the bike, hopping on the elliptical, and going to physical therapy um, three, four times a week sometimes. Uh, we'd go after school. We'd sometimes go before school because, like I said, my dad, he had a lot of ankle issues. So the only time he could get PT was in the morning. So I would just go with him and do extra PT in the morning. And then I would go to PT for myself after school and just constantly, constantly doing physical therapy from the age of six onwards. And uh, yeah, they did not want surgery, but eventually we did get Botox. So we did Botox every six months or so for a number of years. And what the Botox does, it acts as a lubricant, I want to say, for your muscles. So think of it as, remember, I talked about my feet and how I couldn't bring my left foot up. So what the Botox does, it, it relaxes the calf muscles, it loosens the calf muscles, So then once once you get that, then you can start to stretch and work your way up and get sort of what I like to call a new baseline. So as you stretch your calf more and you stretch your muscles more, you get new baseline of flexibility. So I'm not just stuck in the same spot and it becomes a little bit easier. And unfortunately, the Botox wears off. So you have to stick with it with the physical therapy. And then every once in a while, you get it again to help loosen it up more and gain more flexibility. So it's a constant, constant process of Botox, physical therapy to help it to help it um, loosen up. Oh, physical therapy also to maintain the strength because the Botox weakens the muscles, and it's just all these different things piled in and trying to figure out to get the best version of myself possible by the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and Dr. something that you you no, I love it. I love to hear about it, and this is this is all about you, man. And something that stuck out to me within that answer was the youngest, and that's a theme we'll certainly carry through throughout this podcast. But I'd love to start with your start playing soccer and that journey with there because you talked about how your dad and dad's a soccer coach long time experience so it's assumed naturally that hey maybe gonna want to try this down the road at some point so what was that initial process like and then we'll get into the uh this discovery of the u.s national men's soccer team but what was that initial experience like with soccer and just how have you fallen in love with the sport at such a young age yeah, so
1: my dad's originally from England, and obviously over there it's a big soccer football culture. Excuse me if I call it football. Uh, I know <laughs> down I know here I know down here in South Carolina football is football, and I love it. But to me, it's football. I always hear soccer first. Um, and he's been a soccer coach for thirty plus years now. And when I was born, he was the he was the town soccer coach. Everybody knew who he was in the northern part of New Jersey. If he played soccer around my town most of the time you were coached at some point by my dad, whether it was a youth clinic or whatever else. So when his son was born, everyone went, oh, yeah, he's going to be a soccer player. And as soon as I could walk, a ball was put at my feet and I was playing as best I could. Uh, But as I talked about, I fell over a lot. I had really poor balance due to my CP and all that. And I really struggled to play, but I loved it because it was something that I could do with my dad. I could go play with my dad all the time and he would be coaching me and he would be teaching me. And I remember being so ecstatic when I would tell him, Hey, I did five juggles in a row for the first time today. And all these different things. I played soccer because of my dad. And as I grew up with physical therapy, uh, with cerebral palsy, soccer became another form of physical therapy. uh, Because remember, I always said that doctors encourage you to stay active and Find by any means possible, stay active, stay active, stay active. That's one of my biggest pieces of advice to kids with CP is find a way to stay active aside from just physical therapy because you want to have fun with it, right? I was six years old or eight years old or nine years old in a PT office doing exercises. That's not fun for a kid. It's not fun for a kid to go to an office that smells funny and do leg lifts and stretches and this and this and this. It's not fun. It's not engaging. And my PTs did an amazing job of trying to make it fun, of trying to make it engaging for me. I still remember balance fights where I would balance on a BOSU ball and have lightsaber fights with a big foam roller with my PT. If I was good, then we would finish the PT session with that. So we tried to make it fun. But going back to soccer, I I could find joy in playing soccer. I could really find joy in kicking a soccer ball and achieving something. And especially because I was around my dad. But unfortunately, what's the case for a lot of kids with CP or almost every kid with CP in the United States and the world is around 8, 9, 10, 11, as it gets more competitive, I couldn't keep up. And it's the same story you hear all across America is kids with disabilities just, just couldn't keep up with the able-bodied kids. And um, it was difficult it was difficult. I was cut from all the teams. My dad was no longer going to be my coach until he made the decision that he was going to start his own soccer club. So he started his own soccer club in 2008, 2009, I want to say, uh, right. As I was getting into the competitive age and that was called SDFC sports domain, football club or soccer domain, football club. And he created for my age group, he created three teams. And typically you don't have three teams per age group. But for my eighth grade, we had three teams. And I was on the lowest team, the C team, actually called the Tigers because I've been a Tiger fan. How about uh, that? Even, even since I was a kid, even since I was, I grew up loving Tigers. My first stuffed animal was a Tiger. Uh, my first club soccer team was the C team, the Tigers. And even then, I only played maybe five minutes a game. My dad said, listen, I'm going to give you a place where you can train. I'm going to give you a place where you can play. But everything else you have to earn because he would give me every opportunity, but he wouldn't hand me the success on a silver platter. That stuff, I had to earn. And really, it taught me a lot about how life was going to be. And I'm so, so glad that my parents didn't give me an inch. They really didn't. They gave me every opportunity available, but they did not give me anything extra or an inch. And I had to earn all that myself. So it taught me at a young age that I had to work harder than everyone else just to catch up. And I had to work three times as hard if I wanted to be better. And I developed a very competitive mindset growing up thinking, all right, if I'm starting a few steps behind, I want to get a few steps in front. And uh, so I continued playing soccer um, through the club. And as I got older, just working my way up from the C team to actually playing for the C team uh, to eventually making the B team, uh, which we kept the Tigers. We got rid of the third team and just had two. So it was Tigers and another team. And uh, kept working up, kept working up, kept working up until I was starting for the B team and eventually making the A team as a guest player every once in a while. And eventually making the A team as I got older and, and uh, really matured with doing physical therapy, with doing soccer, with doing everything. Once I started working out in the gym on my own, just evolving as a soccer player. And This is until about 13, I would say.
0: Is there a moment in that in that time you just mentioned where you're working up from C team to all the way up to A team? Was there a moment maybe on the field or maybe in practice where you just felt like, oh, yeah, like something's clicked here? Like I, I really within your game, I guess. That's a great question. That's a great question.
1: Um, I couldn't tell you a particular moment. I could tell you a season.
0: OK, I could
1: tell you a season. Um, My biggest issue growing up was that My two biggest issues were my balance and my speed, because with my left leg being as weak as it was due to my cerebral palsy, I wasn't fast. I wasn't flexible enough to have a good stride. I wasn't fast. And on top of that, I'd fall over a lot. My dad would stick me up front as a striker for the sole reason of if if I was in the box, I'd fall over and I'd win a penalty. So that's how I became a striker was because I could win a penalty. Not because I could run faster than everyone else, but because I could win a penalty. But because I wasn't faster than everyone else, I had to find ways to contribute to the team on the field. I had to get better at learning runs. I had to get better at positioning. I had to get better at timing. All the little things that you learn a lot later on in your soccer career, I had to learn at a young age so that way I could find a way into teams. And actually, it wasn't until I want to say I was going into sixth grade. Um, Yeah, I was going into sixth grade when I tore my meniscus in my right knee, my my good knee. I tore my medial meniscus in my right knee, just overuse because I'm overcompensating and putting a lot more stress on my right leg than I was my left due to my disability. My right knee eventually gave out and I tore meniscus. I had surgery on it, had it repaired, and I had to go through a lengthy recovery process. But my parents, the first question they asked was, is this going to help his left leg? Because I had to only focus on my left leg on crutches and all that other stuff. And in all honesty, it did. It really, really did. Because when I went to physical therapy now, I was going for both my left and my right leg. And this is when I started working out at a fitness complex called Parabolic up in New Jersey, just doing not heavy weightlifting or anything like that, but just movement stuff. So I was doing physical therapy and on both legs, and I was getting stronger. I was getting stronger. I was hitting a growth spurt at that time. And coming back from that surgery and coming back from that recovery, I found myself a lot more mobile. Now, I'm not recommending people go tear or hurt your good leg (laughs) just leg, just so your CP leg or your bad leg gets better, but it helped me in an unfathomable way, an unfathomable way. It was incredible. Just coming back, I was actually, I was like, oh, wait, I can actually move a little bit better now because for months I was working on my left leg four times as much. I had always grown up having to do more on my left side just for it to try to catch up to my right, but now with me unable to use my right at all, I was doing gosh four or five times the amount on my left leg and it really progressed in a in a great way. So I would say that season coming back I was finally able to really compete and um and contribute to the team.
0: Wow. I mean it, sometimes it's the things you never expect to be the most significant that end up helping the most. That's at 12 too. Uh that kind of surgery. Wow. Yeah, I was I was going into 6th grade. So I was probably about 11 12 something like that. Goodness. I think I've had a couple arm breaks from at 12, but I can't imagine something in the knee like, uh oh, yeah. but let's talk about you, that momentum that you start to gather from the, the, the recovery from the knee injury and how it played a role in helping you out. And then here comes the U S men's national team and something you guys need to know about Shay. He's the youngest player and we'll get, we'll get into that theme of youngest ever to do this, do that. I mean, Shay, it's incredible, man, but let's talk about that initial discovery what was the process that played into that? And then talk to me about the first couple of weeks on the team and just that kind of feeling of this you through 13. And they're like, hey, we're going to fly you out here to X, and Y, Z. We're going to get you starting the, the ball rolling, I guess.
1: Yeah. So the process of me joining the U.S. team was longer than just a few weeks. It was years for me to actually make the team. Uh, but first I had to discover what the team was. And really, again, I'm giving credit to my mom. My mom found the team first. My dad was close behind. But my mom saw an article in the BBC that the U.S. Paralympic soccer team qualified for the Rio Paralympic Games. That was the article title. And um, it was she saw that only because she was looking at the scores for the Women's World Cup, which was happening simultaneously. So while the world, Women's World Cup was happening, the Paralympic soccer qualifiers for Rio, which may have been the world championships that year, Uh, were happening. And the U.S. had qualified. So my mom goes, oh, what's this U.S. Paralympic soccer team? Looks it up, says stroke, cerebral palsy, or traumatic brain injury. I qualified. And they came to me. I remember I was sitting on the couch. and They said, Shay, have you ever heard of this? And Ash, have you heard of this? My dad's name is Ash. And Meg, have you heard of this? And we looked into it and I qualified. And from then on, they just did research. How do you find out about this? How do you join? Is this possible? How good are they? What is this? what is this? And for a few for a few weeks of the summer, my my mom and dad did a bunch of research. And once they found out it was legit, because you never know, you never know what it could be. They'd never heard of Paralympic sports, or they had, but they hadn't really thought about it for me. I had grown up doing able-bodied sports and everything. My dad reached out to my current head coach, Stuart Sharp, and said, "Hey, listen, I have a kid. He's 13 years old, and he has cerebral palsy, left-sided hemiplegia." It affects his balance. It affects his passing. It affects X, Y, Z. What's the deal? Can he, does he have a pathway to, to try out at some point when he's older or how does it work? And my head coach emailed back and said, hey, great to hear from you. Film a video doing these different things. So film a video of him doing passing from 10 yards. Film a video of him doing some agility work. Film a video of him doing some long balls, some controls, some things like that. So I went to preseason soccer camp for my club team, SDFC. I was 13. And over the summer, we, my teammates all helped me out. And we filmed a video of me doing all these different skills, me passing a ball 10 yards with some teammates, doing a couple long balls, doing a couple controls out of the air, just showcasing a little bit of skills. Because that's how the identification process worked. It kind of still does with that. And then we sent the video to the coach. And a few weeks later, I got an invite to my first training camp which was in Carson, California in October, November of 2015. And that training camp was one of the biggest ever. It was a big identification camp um, for us, for the U.S. to find players going into the Rio Paralympic Games for 2016 to try and find any players that could make the team uh, for the 2016 roster. And I went and I was the youngest there by four or five years, something like that. I think the youngest was 18, 19 or something like that. And I'm there, and I hadn't puberty yet, so I'm just a kid. And I walk in, and some of the the older players that are all in their 20s and 30s are kind of looking around going, who's this this kid? Why is there a kid here? (laughs) And I'm there, and I'm just trying to showcase what I can do with a soccer ball. But as I'm showcasing what I can do, I'm learning so much about my own body and about everything was cerebral palsy because i hadn't met someone else with cerebral palsy before until this camp and i'm seeing how people are using their cp foot or their cp legs to do different things i'm thinking wow i never thought about that i never thought about using my leg that way i never thought about doing that and i would i was just a sponge i asked people for advice i tried to learn as much as i could and i did learn a ton but it turns out training for the us national team and training To try to make the team again causes a lot of stress on my body so at the camp i actually fractured my l5 uh vertebrae in my back and uh i finished the camp out with a fracture my l5 was not fun and i went back home and got it checked out got an mri again and like yeah no you have a stress fracture in l5 so that was cool and i had to go through another recovery another recovery process and at the same time, I had a fracture in my foot uh, that I had to deal with, which was due to my CP, just because of the way that I walk. I was putting excess pressure on a bone in my foot that, that also fractured. So as I go back from camp, I came back with a motivation that, hey, I want to make it back here. But first, I got to recover. So I spent the age of 14 recovering a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, coming back from back injury and all that. And I was also going into high school. So I was starting my high school season, my high school career, I guess, and getting ready to try to make it back to the national team. Because at the end of that camp, I sat down with my coach, Coach Sharp, and he said, listen, Jay, you're 13. You're not making the Paralympics. That's not happening. You're not going to play for a while. But we want you to stick with it. Find any way to keep playing. Find any way to keep training. Because in the future, you show a lot of capability for being able to play for this team. You show a lot of things that we like and you show a lot of things that will help us in the future. Just you're 13; <laughs> you can't compete physically with the demands of of men. It's just not how it works. So, hearing that, I went back home and I continued training and rehabbing and recovering. And once I recovered from my back injury, I was ready for high school season as a freshman. And um, I played. I trained with the varsity. I played a few games with the JV, but three games, two ga- two three games into the season. Uh, I get a bad tackle from behind, and I tear everything in my right knee again, except my ACL. So I tear oh. my meniscus again. I tear my LCL, PCL, ton of all the tendons, and except not my patella tendon, but I blow out my knee because a really bad hyperextension. So back to square one again. Back to more rehab again. Right as and this happened ten days before I was going to go back to my next U.S. national team camp. Uh, so I was ten days out from going back to another camp and I blow out my knee. So that was, that was nice. That was really cool. I still, I still remember that day as if it was yesterday, because that was a real bummer moment for me. But again, it gave me a chance to grow. It gave me a chance to reflect and just rehabbing all the way through the next months and months and months. And I got cleared on March 25th. And on March 25th, I flew out. This was March 25th, 20, uh, was it 2017, 20, 2017, March 25th, 2017. I was cleared March 25th, 2017, I flew out to Florida for my second ever national team camp. I was 15 years old. I just turned 15 years old. So there was almost a two-year gap between camps. And there was a it was a fractured back. It was a blown-out knee, a fractured foot, all in the time between of me trying to make it back just to a camp, by the way. Not to a tournament. The camps are just training camps where it's it, they're all tryouts. Camps are always tryouts. And I make it back to camp. I'm still the youngest there, one of the youngest there. And I get smoked, right? I'm still the youngest there. I'm coming off a knee injury. I'm coming off a ton of injuries. And, I'm, and I didn't play my best. It wasn't my best. But I knew I had a lot to go. I was cleared the day I flew out. Um, so I kept that in mind. And I, I did enough to get invited back in the future. Not consecutive camps. But a few months later, I got invited to another camp, which was in Chicago, in June. And that was a selection camp for the upcoming trip to Chile, which was for a couple friendly games. And uh, my goal between March and June was to show as much progress as I can. So that way I can say, hey, listen, coach, in March, I was coming off a torn knee. By June, I'm way, way better. And I felt I accomplished that. I came in and played much, much better in June. And uh, I made the roster for the travel team for – some friendly games in Chile. So when I got that email or when I got told that I still have the pictures of how excited I was because I was 15 going on my first international trip with the U S national team to play in two games against Chile in a four in South America. It was unbelievable. So we fly to South America. And, um, again, I'm the youngest one on the team there. I'm trying <laughs> to learn as much as I can, but I'm also having to be a little more mature for my age. I can't sit there and be a 15-year-old kid. I couldn't sit in these camps and in these meetings and at these training sessions. And I couldn't be a 15-year-old kid who's snotty and annoying and no one wants to be around and, and all that. I had to I had to wise up a little bit. Sure, there were times where I was definitely a little young and talked about the current Marvel movie a little too much, whatever was going out <laughs> going on at the time. But I still really wanted to show that I belong. That was my, my goal for those camps at that moment in time in my career was to show that I belong. Show that I belong on the team. Show that I belong uh, within the team. Show that I belong to make the next camp. Show that I belong to make the next travel team. And uh, I worked my butt off in Chile. We played the first game. Uh, I didn't play in that game. I was sat on the bench the whole time. We won that. We won that game six nothing. Chile was a uh, was not the strongest side at the time. And uh, going into the second game, I said, "Please, just just let me play, like just for mm-hmm. a little bit, please. I just want to play a little bit. We beat them six nothing. I can play in the next game, hopefully." And uh, we go to the next game, and it's on just um, just it was just some some field in the middle of nowhere, Chile. We got changed in some horse stable stalls of some sorts. I'm not trying to knock the country, but that's just where we were. And it was just the environment we were in. And we're warming up and we had to use car lights weren't because the lights weren't working for the, to light the field until kickoff and wow. when they were finally working. Then we lit the field for kickoff. And I didn't start and I'm just sitting on the bench, just please give me a chance, please give me a chance, please give me a chance. And eventually our strength and conditioning coach says, Shay, go warm up. And I warm up for about 45 minutes of the game. The, the last 45 minutes of the game. And towards the end of the game, um, one of the Chile players gets one of the Chile players gets hurt. And um my coach goes, oh, We can make us up, we can make us up, we can make us up. So they sub me on for the last for for, for added time. For added time. They were supposed they meant to you on earlier. They just didn't. My coach actually apologized to me after the game and said, hey, we're, <laughs> we're going to give you a little more time. But I got maybe 90 seconds, two minutes. It felt like one second because I'm on. Oh, my God. I took a throw in. I played a pass and they blew the whistle. And that was it. But it was my first cap. It counts as a cap. We get one of these one of these banners. Anytime we have an international trip, this one is from a camp. Um, but I have just st- so many in my drawers. This one is from a trip to England. Just each one commemorates an international trip. And for me, that was my first cap. I had a cap for the United States of America. Uh, that was June in 2017. So
0: that's incredible.
1: Long period of time.
0: Yeah. But, so I would love to just quick question for before we move on to 2017 is the start of the, the foundation CP soccer. But. I'd love to ask you in between the first camp that you went to and then taking those first steps and those first seconds on the field and your first ever came for the U.S. men's national team, all the adversity that you've laid out for our audience, was there ever a moment of doubt or ever a moment of just like reflection where you sit there, man, maybe it was after and it's a can't believe that I overcame all this. Or was it in between then and now when you're looking back on it and go, I can't believe that meniscus for back injuries another knee injury fracturing your foot was there ever a moment where you sitting there and you're just in awe of what you've been able to accomplish
1: I wouldn't say good question I wouldn't say I was in awe I would think there was da- the moments of doubt absolutely I mean I have to really think about them because they get outweighed by everything else right but at the time they were 100 percent there They've been there every single year of my career of just like, oh man, can I keep going through this pain? Can I keep going through these injuries? Because one thing with through palsy, it doesn't go away. It gets a little easier at times, but really it's just managing pain constantly because you're managing your muscles being tight at all times. You're managing your muscles not moving the way you want them to at all times. You're trying to ease your life in some way, shape, or form. And there was times where I'm just like, why me? Ten days before camp, I blow out my knee again. I'm thinking during the times where my back was fractured, where I wasn't allowed to do anything but walk. Just thinking, oh my gosh, I just want to kick a ball right now. And just the amount of time. It was probably about a year and a half worth of rehab, because it was eight months for the back and another six months for the um, for the um for the knee and all that. So just constant, constant times where I'm just like, oh. again. Really, I'm 15 and, my, and I have all these different things that are wrong. But it also taught me a lot about what I needed to do to avoid that again. It was just, all right, I want to make sure this doesn't happen again. Where I am not, I don't want to miss another extended period of time. And just working on, all right, once I get through this PT, then keep doing that same PT. Train as if you're injured. So that way you avoid the injury altogether again. And uh, thankfully, I've not injured my knee too severely again since then. And just, it really, really taught me a lot about how to take care of my body. But when it comes to the moments of doubt, yeah, they've been there always, 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 always. Just thinking, wow, can I really do this?
0: Yeah, so let's, I mean, just, I I gotta like take a second for myself and be like, wow, this is, and this is what we brought you on for. It's incredible. But let's talk about your foundation in CP soccer. And so we talk about your first experiences with the U.S. men's national team. And in that same year, You begin something that's not only grown exponentially in 2024, but and we'll have it linked in the description, guys. You'll be able to check out the website. There's an opportunity to donate if you wish. Uh, It's a really phenomenal thing, and I'd love to hear just how that got started and how it's grown from here on out.
1: Yeah, so as I joined the U.S. national team, my dad is my biggest supporter, my biggest fan. Uh, So is the rest of my family, but my dad particularly. My dad would write stories about – my journey and things like that. And he wrote a story for a website called Chasa about my first camp and a man named Eli Hallowell read it, read my dad's story. was called the one arm goalkeeper because one of our goalkeepers, his arm is uh, severely impacted, not amputated, but severely impacted. So I talked about how there was a goalkeeper who only used one arm. Uh, His name's Keith Johnson, legend of the game. And um, he man Eli read it because he had a son named Eli. Sorry. Eli has a son named Levi Sorry, they made it so easy for me. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. And Levi was going through the same thing that I went through when I was 8, 9, 10. Levi was playing soccer, but he was approaching the age of when it gets more competitive. And all of his clubs were saying he won't be able to play much as he gets older. And Eli wanted to find a way to keep him involved in sports, keep him involved in playing. So he reached out to my dad and said, hey, you have all the knowledge in the world about starting a soccer club. What if we started a soccer club for kids with CP? So he invited my dad and I to New York City. We went to New York City. We met up, had breakfast, and we talked. The four of us all sat and talked about what we don't, what what hasn't existed for kids with CP, right? The sole opportunity for them to play. And we talked about creating it because is a brilliant businessman, but he didn't know too much about soccer. That's where we came in. So we started a soccer club for kids with cerebral palsy, stroke, TBI, anywhere in the tri-state area to come play for free. And uh, we started doing marketing and started sending it out. And we started with a small cohort cohort of five, six, seven, eight kids, I want to say, for the first session in New Jersey. And it was amazing. We started in, we met for the first time in April, 2017. And I can't remember when our first practice was. I'd have to find that date but we just had our first practice in New Jersey and then we had a second practice and then we had a third practice and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And we kept holding these practices in New Jersey for these kids in the tri-state area. And as more people found out about it, more people came from even farther away. We had people coming from Connecticut driving two hours every weekend just to come for the practice because of how valuable it was for their child to be able to continue playing soccer and for their child to be around other kids that have cerebral palsy that also want to play soccer. And some kids didn't even like the soccer part. They just wanted to be around other kids with CP. We still see that today. It's a, we, we started building a community. And um, I want to say it was the next year or later on in that year, we had another family come from Maryland. They came, drove four hours just for the one practice because their son has cerebral palsy, plays soccer, same story, starting to get weeded out of his teens. And it's becoming frustrating. It's becoming unfortunate. And they came for the practice, loved it. But they said, hey, listen, we can't drive four hours every weekend. So why don't we start a location in Maryland? Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So we started another location in Maryland. We raised more funding. We did a lot of fundraising and all that. And we started a location in Maryland. And then we had people reach out from Texas saying, hey, listen, we can't fly from Texas to Jersey every weekend or Texas to Maryland every weekend for a practice. Can we start a location in Texas? And little by little over the years, we've started having people reach out, um, trying to trying to start new locations. And now we're up to 14 locations all around the country. And one of our goals is to have a CP soccer location in every city in America, not just every state in America, every city in America, uh, or major city in America, for sure. And so that way, every kid could have an option to play. And that's a goal for many, many years in the future. But we've seen how quickly we can grow. For number of years, especially when we have such dedicated families and such dedicated individuals.
0: So what for you is your role within the organization currently? You're currently a student here at Clemson. you got your responsibilities here with just not academically, but then you have your role with the U.S. Uh, soccer team. So what is your role? Let's just say a day to day or maybe it's a weekly type of thing that you check in on. But what is your role currently here when you're at school and at Clemson?
1: Great question. Great question. And uh, my role started off as more of a figurehead, obviously, because I was 15. I mean, I didn't know any of the business behind starting a nonprofit, Um, but I was involved in practices and I was an assistant coach when I first started. And I've been coaching for years and years and years. But my current role within CP Soccer is I'm the head coach of our summer camp. So I run all of our programming over the summer. I am our lead ambassador. So anytime we start a new location, I fly out to that location and I run the first practice. So that way we can show, hey, listen, this is how we do it, right? This is how we do a CP soccer session, because a lot of coaches have never coached an athlete with a disability before. So we always like to incorporate aspects of physical therapy into our warmup. We like to incorporate as many touches on the ball as we can. But we also need to challenge our players and say, hey, listen, we're not going to baby you because otherwise you're not going to get anything out of this. Uh, That's part of my role as well. I also keep track and record data from all of our attendants across all of our locations. So I have to manage, I have to email our managers and and, and directors and founders from each location all around the country, making sure that their numbers are up to date for how many kids are at each practice and how long the practice is. Uh, I'm collecting that data for both research purposes in the future, but also for our grant writing to say, hey, listen, we provided... 4,000 plus hours of 4,000 plus kit hours to players all across the country in the United States all throughout 2023. That's that's more than there ever was before. And in 2024, we're going to double that, right? We're going to get 10,000 hours and just keep adding on and adding on and adding on the amount of hours that we provide. So my responsibility is keeping track of our attendance across the entire location. Uh, I'm... I have a lot of different responsibilities I have to check in on. I'm, again, also in charge of quality control. So making sure, again, that our practices are up to standard, right? We don't want kids just standing around not having a good time. We want things to have – we want our players to have a good time. And I actually have a meeting tonight with my dad and Eli, our founders meeting, just to figure out where we're going again throughout 2023. And I help my dad with our U21 program. So I help my dad with roster selection and travel teams and things like that. Uh, I helped coordinate our 2023 senior camp back here. We held it here in Clemson. So I just have a wide wide variety of um, responsibilities. I don't have a set title, I would say, aside from co-founder. It's just, hey, Eli text me, hey, Shay, can you get this done? Done. I'll, I'll do it. I'll have Dubai next week.
0: Is there a story or a moment within this foundation that you've experienced that you could maybe share with the audience that's most memorable for you that just embodies what this foundation is all about? Loaded question, I know, but
1: <laughs> no, I know, I know. You're good. Um, I would say the weeks of camp over the summer. I can't go too deep into the specifics, just because some of them are classified, right? We have, but my favorite moment of camp is we have what we call our circle moment, where uh during the week we had we have a sit down. Uh, now our camp is big enough, and our camp is our summer sleepaway camp that we hold in Lake George every every year, and. During the week, towards the end of the week, we have a sit down and all the campers. Now we do a senior one and a junior one, but all the campers sit down and we just let an open forum to share what it's like to live with cerebral palsy, what it's like to live with, to play soccer with cerebral palsy, what it's like to do anything. It's just an open place just to share, right? We call it our share circle. We just, because it's not very often that you're around with, we're around people that just get it. They just get it. They get what it's like to wake up and you're sore. They get what it's like to wake up and your muscles are extra tight. They get what it's like to struggle with cerebral palsy. Everyone just gets it. And it's so rare. It's so valuable. So I would say the weeks of camp where you experience it all week throughout just seeing kids helping each other, tie their shoes, kids saying, Hey, listen, I do things this way. Maybe this will be a little bit easier if you do it this way, or I play video games with my feet, check it out. And and you check it out. Wow, what? It's just all the different wild things that you see at our summer camp is by far and away my favorite part. It's my favorite week of the year, by far, by far, by far, by far. But uh, I can't share the specifics of camp because we uh, the, of sorry not of camp of the circle because we keep that um, we keep that confidential. Yeah, hey, what uh, happens the, in the circle stays. But in the circle. it's always impactful. It's yeah. always impactful.
0: Share. Absolutely. I, video games with your feet. I'd love to just sit down with oh, that yeah. person and hear about oh, that yeah. story right there. He'll be he'll what? be
1: at Clemson. Oh,
0: he'll be at Clemson in the fall. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, one of
1: our serving players.
0: Awesome. Speaking of Clemson, uh, something that obviously you talk about the Tigers, your, your first tough animal is a tiger, but I love asking this question is the why Clemson? And you're the first, I believe, Paralympic athlete to, uh, it's either the program that was started here at Clemson. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but what led you to Tigertown? What led you to Clemson from Jersey? I know there's a big migration of Jersey kids coming to Clemson and you're part of that group, but what struck out to you that made Clemson home for the next four years? Or this is your last year for senior at Clemson. So what made it home for the four years you've been here? Yeah. So
1: I, back in 2016, we, we, back in 2016, a program was started through the Parks Recreation Tourism Department called the Clemson Paralympic Soccer Team, the Clemson Paralympic Soccer Program. And it was designed as a residential training program for athletes with cerebral palsy stroke or TBI to make the national team, because as we talked about, there was no, there was no feeder system to the national team. CP soccer became that at the youth level, but there was no medium between the youth level to the national team. Right. And, uh, there was no college programs in the country that offered players the access to play soccer at a university and it became a scholarship program as well. So, it's you offered in-state tuition to athletes with cerebral palsy to come to Clemson to train with the aspirations to play for the national team or to have a place where you can continue to play so that way when you get called into national team camp that you are both supported academically because as you know I travel a lot so you're supported academically by talking with professors and talking with uh, the university saying hey listen this person has to miss this this and this this is why it's okay and um and supported financially right because Clemson's can be expensive if you're out of if you're an out of state student. So we pay an in state tuition rate rather than out of state. So that's what the general just the program was back in twenty sixteen. Uh, back then, two graduate students, uh, who were my former teammates or one's a former teammate, one's a current teammate, uh, joined the program as graduate students. Drew Bremer and Tyler Bennett, and they completed a graduate. They each got a graduate degree from it while well, they continued to train here at Clemson. They trained together here at Clemson. There was only two of them. And they trained at Clemson and continued to play with the national team while earning a graduate degree. Uh, For me, I was the first ever undergraduate student to receive the scholarship and be a part of the program. The only thing was I joined in 2020 when there was a middle of a pandemic. So I had to train on my own. I was by myself. I was the only person from my age group to be admitted into Clemson. And for the year of 2020, it was and there was nothing going on with the U.S. because we were on pause until 2022. Uh, so it was just trying to stay fit, trying to keep motivation of being a national team player once everything resumes, just making the national team once we get started up again. And I was training on my own, but I was very well supported by the people here at Clemson, by Dr. Banning as well in the PRTM department. And I was and the program allowed me to get a degree at a university at a great, great university. So I came here because of the scholarship opportunity and because of the soccer team but I fell in love with the university itself and everything that it has to offer. I mean, my first, my first visit was actually back in 2016. And um, I came for the Clemson Citadel game, which was the military appreciation game for that year, uh, the purple out. And that was my first ever Clemson football game back in 2016. And we won by, I want to say 60. So that was fun, fun, fun to experience. And from then on, I was like, oh right, yeah, this, this place will be my home. So all throughout high school, I didn't wear any Clemson stuff throughout high school until I got admitted I made that a rule, at least in senior year. I said, I'm not wearing anything Clemson until I get admitted. I kept the hoodie <laughs> in my closet. I kept the hoodie in my closet. And I said, I'm not wearing this until I get that letter that says I'm in. So it uh and I got admitted on the day of the national championship against LSU. So not the best day to be, uh the Clemson Tiger, but it was still great. <laughs> it was still great. But yeah, now, now we currently at the program. Now we have seven players or six players. Um I want to say yeah we we had seven last year but then he graduated uh he graduated the master's program so now we have a bunch of players all younger than me that we had practiced this morning so we train monday wednesday friday the men's and women's soccer team are very gracious in letting us use their facilities uh in the mornings before their training so i cannot thank them enough and the university has really supported us in a way that where we can excel as as a athletes with disabilities
0: absolutely there and I think you picked a pretty good year to start uh, going to Clemson football game 2016. That's a yeah. a pretty, pretty common good time here at Clemson, but yeah. I'd love to shift to your experiences with the U uh, S men's national soccer team and the bronze medal experiences. And I, I know in 2019 um, compared to 2023, in terms of playing time, it's vastly different, but I'd love to talk. I hear just your experiences from both and just, scoring that first goal, contributing to that first, that bronze medal, just the experience. It's like, I'm talking about 60 different questions here, but let's just hear about, about them both and what you took away from them.
1: Yeah. So where I left off in my national team journey was making the chili squad and playing my first game. But so much has happened since then. Uh, I did, I made my first tournament squad when I was 16. That was the Copa Americas where we also got a bronze medal, but that one's back home in Jersey somewhere. Um, so we, that was my first ever tournament and I played 30 minutes. I played 30 minutes, scored a hat-trick in that game against Ecuador, which was awesome. Um, Again, I was the youngest, I was the youngest in the entire squad for that tournament, the Copa America. And again, every single time I went away, I was hungry to keep going back. And 20, that was 2018. So 2018 was the first year I started making camps consistently. I talked about how. One of my goals growing up was just to make the next camp, make the next camp, make the next camp. So that way there wasn't as big a gap in between when the coach was seeing me and I could show that I belong with the older players. And it wasn't until I was 16 that I really start to show and mature and show, hey, listen, I can keep up. I can contribute something to the team. And I made my first squad when I was 16. Then into 2019, I was 17, getting older, getting a little more mature physically, getting more mature as a player, not just too frantic and um we had two tournaments that year the world cup and the parapan american games and my goal was to obviously make both and just really showing hey listen i can contribute something to this team i deserve to go to these tournaments and not just play 30 minutes but be a contributing player and i was still the youngest one in the squad so i went to all the camps leading up to it and my coach actually called me when i was in the gym to let me know that i had made the world cup squad and he called me and said, "Hey." I'm calling everyone who didn't make the squad to let them know, so I can let them down easy. But I'm calling you to let you know you did make the squad. So oh. a little bit, of, a little bit of a roller coaster there. Yeah. From my head coach, he he's a funny guy for sure. Um, so I was very happy then. So I made the World Cup squad, and subsequently I made the Parapan American Games squad. Uh, at that World Cup, we finished sixth overall, and then in the Parapan American Games that fall, uh, we won bronze. This is my first bronze medal from uh, the Parapan American Games back in 2019. But again, I was still 17 at the time, so I was the youngest for both squads and by, num- by a number of years, and I contributed. I scored goals. I scored uh, five goals at the World Cup, but I was only getting second-half appearances or right? I was playing against the weaker teams. I wasn't, I wasn't contributing the way I wanted to, except in the quarterfinal, I was able to play against England. Uh, we ended up losing, but I played the last 15 minutes against England, and I got us a goal back uh, in our loss. And that was the first time I played in a meaningful game, if that makes sense. I played in a game where where I was being trusted with something great. And that meant a lot to me in my progression. And then going into the Parapan American games, I didn't have my best tournament. I was coming off a little bit of an ankle injury, nothing too crazy, and uh, didn't play the best. And I didn't play that much. Again, I was playing in the second half. I was making appearances. I was getting caps, but I really wanted to contribute to the team as best I could. And that was the end of 2019. So 2020, I'll go, all right, I'm going to be a real contributing member to the team. I'm going to start some more games. I'm going to start some meaningful games and COVID <laughs> yeah. and COVID and COVID. So we get shut down. We got one camp in in February and then the world shut down in March. So we spent 2020 really just training on our own. Thankfully my dad's business is that he owns an indoor soccer facility in New Jersey. So that's where we went every single day. Just my family and I, we went from house to facility. So I actually got to go somewhere uh, during the during the months of COVID. But COVID allowed me to really pursue CP soccer at a length that we never did. But I, I'll hopefully get back to that a little bit later. But going back into the national team career, uh, we go into 2022 was when we finally resumed play at the World Cup. We had a World Cup in 2022. And I'm feeling ready. I'm 20, I'm turning 20 years old. I'm physically ready. I'm ready to contribute. And I'm playing really well in camp. I'm scoring a lot of goals. I'm really stepping into the team and putting my name out there. I'm saying, Hey, listen, I want to be a starting player moving forward. And, or at least at times, I want to be a rotational player. I want to not just be the young kid that we play to get him some experience. I want to be a real contributing player to the national team. And Unfortunately, in a trip to England that year in March, I slipped on some muddy grass because it was a pouring rain day and England gave us a terrible field to play on. Uh, I tore my right hamstring. Sorry, no, I tore my left hamstring. Um, and that really screwed me up for for the rest of the year. Played in the two games that we had in England, played against England and Scotland, uh, scored against Scotland, played on a torn left hamstring. So wow. this was in March and our World Cup was in May, May, June of that year. So I had a few months to try and get right. So I'm just trying to rehab while staying fit and training and getting ready for the World Cup and going to camps, going, going to the camp that we had before, going to the World Cup, just about healing my left leg. So at the World Cup, my left hamstring was just about good enough to play on. And uh, I was good to go for, for the World Cup. And I play against Australia and I play against uh, the Netherlands in the quarterfinal. And we finally got over that hump. Of the quarterfinal we beat the netherlands 3-0 uh, came on and got an assist in that game so was, again very proud that was one of my proudest moments on the team at that moment because again i was contributing in a way that i never had before and as a team we had gotten past the quarterfinal which we had never done before ever we'd never gotten past the quarterfinals and we were going up in the semifinals against the number one team in the world ukraine the best team in the world by far they are unbelievable so going into that game, I had to be at my best and be ready. And as I'm sitting in the team meeting before, my name's on the starting lineup, and I had to keep my cool But I was starting <laughs> in the World Cup semifinal against Ukraine, the best team in the world. And my coach trusted me enough, and I wanted to repay him. So we're playing in the game. We go down 1-0 early because, again, they're a really, really good team. They'll pick you apart. Just pass, 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 pass goal. Just unbelievable. And then I get a breakaway about 15, 20 minutes in, and I'm in on goal. Something I'll score nine times out of 10, just ready to go. And as I wind back to shoot, my right hamstring tears. Wow. My right hamstring tears. Not my left one that I tore earlier, my right one tears. So because I had been putting so much stress on my right leg, because my left hamstring was torn over the past few months, that my my leg was just getting weaker weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, the muscle was just deteriorating, deteriorating, deteriorating. And it just snapped at the worst possible moment. uh, Right. As I go to score to, to equalize the game. And uh, yeah, that was, that was tough. That was tough. Got subbed out of the game. We lost, we lost that game. Then we lost the bronze medal at the world cup. It was tough. It was tough. And getting over that torn hamstring over the next six, eight months was, was a lot because, and I would rather break my leg than tear my hamstring again, because at least, you know, when your bone is healed with muscles, it's you got to test it, test it, test it. And it was mentally one of the hardest injuries that I've ever had to deal with, because I was right there. I was right at that moment where I was contributing and making a name in the team for myself and helping the team in some way. And it gets snatched away like that. So, again, 2023 comes around and it's just we know we have the Parapan pan American games. And we finished bronze. We finished with a bronze medal last time. We wanted a gold. We wanted to better our position. And I wanted to contribute. I wanted to really make a name, not make a name for myself, but really help the team in any way I could and help the team more because I knew that I could. So throughout the year, it's training. It's being camp. It's training on my own, getting up early, doing whatever I needed to do to be ready Going into the tournament and throughout the year, it was missing school. It was obligations. It was this, it was sacrifices here, left, right, and center. Just listen Oh Nope. Sorry. I got Pan Ams in a few weeks. Nope. Nope. Sorry. I got Pan Ams in a few months or got to be ready for this. Oh, I got to travel here for this. And we go to Chile and I'm feeling good going into the tournament and just ready, ready to play. Uh, It's the most ready I'd ever been for a tournament was going into Chile and we're playing there. we're playing really well. We beat Chile in the opener. I got one of the go- one of the goals in the opener. We beat Chile um, in the hosts. So there was thousands of people in the crowd. Uh, we beat them in the opener, which was fantastic. And then we played against uh, but then we had the two toughest teams at the tournament back to back. We had we had Argentina and then we had Brazil, two soccer powerhouses, just absolutely brilliant teams. And we are dominating Argentina. We're if you look at this score, if you look at the stat sheet um prior to prior to the red card, because we got a red card in the first half, unjustly. Uh (laughs) always unjust. We um we were dominating them. We were having the ball, we were getting balls in the box, we were gonna score. It was only a matter of time. And then with five minutes before halftime, we get an awful red card by a referee who really should not have been the center referee, but he was. And it—if you don't know for Paralympic soccer, if Para seven aside soccer or CP football, however you know it—it's seventy-seven. So it's not eleven v eleven, and seventy-six is a lot different than eleven v ten. So losing a man. So imagine being on a power play in hockey for uh, forty-five minutes. Just tough. We the rest of the game. We went from being just down their throat to having to defend because they had the extra man the entire time and. It was really tough. It was it was tough, and we ended up losing that game two one, and even only losing two one down a man for over half the game was a very impressive feat by us. But we knew then that we had to beat Brazil to have a chance at the gold medal match, and we played Brazil the next day, and we had suspensions going into the game because the red card. Uh, unfortunately, we had a couple illnesses and a couple injuries going into the, going into the Brazil game, and we only had seven fit players for the game so we had next to no subs so going in, going into brazil same thing soccer powerhouse they're the they're the only team ranked above us uh in the world at the tournament and we had to play a perfect game and we needed brazil to not play a perfect game for us to win it and unfortunately we we played a near perfect game brazil played a perfect game and we ended up losing two nothing which uh relatively ended our gold medal hopes which was very very unfortunate but we knew we had to finish strong because our mentality is still, all right, we're not going to just pack it up and go home. We had to finish the tournament w- with as many wins as possible. So our next game was against Venezuela. And we knew we had to beat Venezuela for a chance at the bronze medal match because we still had to play Venezuela in Canada. And we went to the Venezuela match, and Venezuela is a hard team. I mean, just tough team to play against because they just sat back the entire game. And it's just – they were a brick wall in front of goal. So we were hounding them, hounding them, hounding them, and we just could not find the breakthrough. It was just one of those games where the ball would not fall. And uh, thankfully, I was able to get a deflection off a shot and uh, scored in with a few minutes left, and we ended up beating Venezuela 1-0 to sure up our spot, pretty much sure up our spot in the bronze medal match. And uh, we knew we had to beat Canada to lock that spot in and went into the Canada game, beat them, and, and we are into the bronze medal match against Venezuela, which, spoiler alert, we won. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was able to get two goals in that game. Definitely my proudest game, one of my, one of my proudest games for the team. But because, again, I was able to show that I belong. I was able to contribute. And I was very, very proud of that from an individual standpoint. As a team, we know we didn't accomplish our goals for the tournament. But as an individual, I felt that I made some really good progress within the team and what I can contribute to the team. So uh, I was very proud of myself and know that next time that we're only going to go up, right. We're only going to, to raise the standard. We're only going to raise the bar.
0: Quite a full circle moment too, starting in a, in Chile. And then back in the world cup in 2023 is you have that climb and you personally having some of your finest moments for the uh, national team there. And just that's I the, and we're, I think you mentioned something earlier that you wanted to get back to and The word that stuck out with me when you were initially talking about being this young kid on the national team, but being able to have something in common with a fellow teammate, a fellow player, and the word that stuck to me that you pointed out was community. And I think in a time when your foundation and the world stops and you can't meet up for these camps, you can't have these personal connections, these personal moments, is that community is stronger than ever. And so I'd love to hear about that experience how did CP Soccer adapt to the COVID world? Because I know you talked about it in your TED Talk. We'll link that as well. And we got a lot to link with you, Shay. You got a lot yeah. going. <laughs> all right.
1: I, I know I talk a lot. I, I always say I can talk the ears off an elephant, but a lot, I appreciate you allowing me to walk through story. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, back in 2020, what I was talking about was the world shut down, as we all know, and most people were stuck inside. But what people don't realize is that, again, with cerebral palsy, you have to stay active in some way and physical therapy offices were closed so soccer practices were canceled and everything was shut down so kids with disabilities had nowhere to get the workouts in that they needed and so my dad and i came up with the idea that we would just hold virtual sessions right Every, everyone was going on zoom for school why couldn't we do it for um for soccer so thankfully my dad has his facility so we set up the field with all different stations and things like that and We started from three to four every single day. We would log on, my dad would hold the iPad and he would film me and I would demonstrate what we were doing. My dad would be on the screen commentating, picking out kids' names all across the country. We had kids from California, kids from St. Louis, kids from um, Kentucky, kids from North, I believe we had some from Minnesota, uh, Florida, just all corners of the country. Logging on every single day, we did it for 11 weeks straight, every single day, Monday to Friday. We called it our broadcast, and I would do just little skills that they could do on their own in their in their backyards, in their garages, in their house. If it was raining, they could go inside and do it in their living rooms. We broke plenty of plates and iPads, and <laughs> and had a couple dogs complain they got hit with a soccer ball. No animal abuse, no or don't worry about that. It was just uh, <laughs> just the dogs would play along sometimes. That was always fun. Um, And the parents, they were willing to pay for the plates that we broke because kids would knock stuff over. But what really happened was we gave the outlet for the kids to play that they didn't have. And it became accessible to everyone. We had kids in places where there were no CP soccer locations and they could join us. And they did. They did. Every single day. I mean, some kids joined us quite literally every single day, missing only for maybe a doctor's appointment. And we held two big events we held two global days as well the first one we were able to get i want to say six continents or something like that and we had had, i want to say over 30 countries represented and we offered it to everyone around the world and we had kids from ireland join every single day we had kids from um all 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 parts of the world joining us just to play soccer every single day and it was the simplest things simple toe touches simple passes find a wall uh, we had our bucket challenge. It was find a bucket, anyone in your house, because we had to, nobody, not everyone had cones, not everyone had ladders or a goal or anything like that. So we said, whatever you hit, that's your target. Whatever you hit, that's your goal. If you hit, if you hit the wall, that's your goal. You score a goal. If you hit the garbage can, that's your goal. If you hit your mom, that's a goal, right? <laughs> it's just whatever, whatever you can find, that's your target. And with our bucket challenge, everyone has a laundry basket or a garbage can or um, anything that they could use to try and bounce a ball, kick it, and land it in. And we did that every single day. It was bucket challenge time, about halfway through. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Every single day we logged on. I got my soccer ball. I demonstrated. We did similar things every day. We changed it up. We incorporated some PT. We incorporated this to give the kids just something to do, right? Just give them something to do and look forward to every single day. And it was spectacular. We only stopped it because I had to go away to college. And uh, our second global day was even bigger. We did, gosh, I couldn't even tell you how many. I'd, I'd have to check the numbers to see how many people we had on that day. But it was a massive, massive broadcast. And it was awesome. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. So yeah, that's what we did throughout the months of 2020 to keep CP Soccer active. And it really, really, it went really, really well. And something I'm most proud of in my life is what we were able to do during one of the hardest times for so many people.
0: That first day, Shay, when you log into that broadcast and you have the thing that so many people are trying to learn. And I remember my first Zoom call in high school and everyone's I can't imagine the teacher having to teach 26 checked out seniors who had already gotten accepted into college and all that. So having for you to not manage checked out kids, but it's it's a strange new world essentially is what it was and how this podcast essentially is recording on zoom right now is because i was like hey you can record on zoom it's easy um and so that first day what was that first day like for you where it maybe feels a little unusual like dribbling in front of a camera but like just what was that process like
1: that's a great question because the first day was a lot different than the rest of the days the first week or so was definitely just trial and error like hey does this work does this work and then we went on to then we found a routine where it was like all right we'll start with this area then we'll move to this and then we'll move here and do this and we'll finish with shooting scoring a goal stuff like that so we definitely found a routine but that first day it was just kind of hey come play soccer with ash and Shay. that's that's what we labeled it as we sent it out to everyone who we knew at cp soccer or everyone who was on our mailing list and said hey this is something we're offering just come play soccer with us all you need is a ball and we'll hold hold practice. And it was very similar to what we ended up continuing with, but um, yeah, it was a learning curve, but it it went really, really well because my dad and I are a very good pair and because he would commentate. So he would hold the iPad so he could, he could see everyone and he would just make sure the camera was able to see me and my feet so that they could all just see us. We do the spotlights that way we would talk he he pressed that mute all button however many times just to keep everyone quiet <laughs> but the thing is the kids were active so imagine it's your you, they would set the laptop up or the phone up or whatever they were watching the zoom on we would say all right everyone come back in Shay show us what we're going to do next toe taps everyone everyone looks in all right he's doing that that's what I need to do and then they leave they go back and then they go do it. And then my dad would commentate, say, Annalie in Kentucky doing fantastic. Will in California doing amazing. Andy in South Carolina, great job. Just my dad would keep talking because he's been a coach forever. He knows what he's doing. And I would and I would do it along with them. And so they could feel that they were working out with me. And it would be my workout for the day. It was tough. It was tough. Sometimes we say, All right, how many can you get in the next minute? Shay's gonna try and beat you. Or you're gonna try and beat Shay. Shay got a hundred. Did you get a hundred? Oh, you got three million? Yeah, right just all the different communicating back and forth as if they were with us in person. And it was truly, truly special. And the first day was, it went smoothly because we knew what we were trying to do. And from then on, it was just fine tuning. How can we make this better and more streamlined?
0: How much better of a soccer player do you feel like that experience made you? Not only you're having to teach, but having to do it in a different way. And as you said, it was a workout for you and you're able to get that consistent training in. How much of a better player do you think you became because of that?
1: a good question that's a really good question the sessions for me were not the hardest so when you think about it from a physically demanding um standpoint it's not going to be as if i'm doing my own workout on my own but every but i did everything that i do on my own on the zooms so they were the kids were doing my workouts just at a slower rate or anything like that But it taught me a lot about coaching more and how to teach and how to demonstrate and how to explain things and how to do it so you can streamline things so as a as a player oh gosh it definitely kept me active um it wasn't the most applicable thing but it's more so just the just the holistic way it made me better just more attentive more i wanted to check in see if they were really matching what i was doing seeing if i was able to demonstrate it well enough so I would say that is how it could have improved me as a player, but it was more so it was more for the kids. It was more for having them feel because they were working out with me, make sure that the kids could feel that they were working out with me uh, side by side.
0: Ah, wow, That's a, it's unbelievable. Just how that foundation, that community continues to play. And even to this day, it's, it's such a, we all will remember those months where it was, oh, yeah. the zoo. you live through zoom pretty much. And yeah. And I think that makes impact, Shay. Before we uh, wrap up today, is there any advice or any lasting thoughts that you want to give to our audience? Uh, just maybe where they can find you, where they can find this f- the foundation. Just some final parting words before we wrap up today. It's been phenomenal to just listen and learn about your story. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the
1: platform. Uh, well, I'm most active on my Instagram, Shay underscore Hammond. Uh, I post a little bit on TikTok as well, Shay Hammond, and. Uh, And obviously you can watch my TED talk if you want a more streamlined version of my career up until 2022. And, um, but more so about the advice side of things, it's just, I'll, I'll leave it with what my dad tells me all the time is, and you can take it however you want, is you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. So take in the way that no matter where you are in life, it's never as bad as you might think it is and it can always get better. And however good things are going, all that stuff, make sure you keep your both feet on the ground. Make sure you keep yourself a little bit humble, keep yourself steady because there's always something you can chase more, right? I've played internationally at some of the highest levels ever, but I still want to try to better that, right? I still want to try to provide more to the kids of the next generation. For me, it's like I've worked with kids all across the country, cool. I still want to work with kids all across the world. So just know that you find a happy medium. That's what I would say. My dad, my dad tells me that all the time.
0: Absolutely. Guys, this was our podcast interview with Shay Hammond. And I think if you stuck around to the complete end of this, I know it's a little bit longer than. I know I talked a lot. <laughs> no, I mean it's great. The, the, the longer the better. So we can learn that story. But guys, thank you as always for tuning in. Subscribe for more. We've had our Super Bowl breakdown. We have our podcast interviews with Ronan Hannafin and Ian Shelton from last week. So comment down below what your impressions were of this interview and go. Go check out Shay's Foundation, his Instagram. Let us know that I sent you. The Man with the Planet podcast sent you. And guys, thank you as always for tuning in. Have a great day and take care.